0: Welcome to the Imperial Many Minds podcast from Imperial College Business School. I'm your host, Dr. Omar Merlot, Associate Dean of External Relations at the Business School. On this podcast, we share conversations between our expert faculty and global alumni network in business. From the role compassion can play in the business world to the economics and finance of climate change, from digital transformation to sustainable development and social responsibility, our diverse minds are tackling the questions that matter. At Imperial College Business School, our unique strength is the ability to gather a diverse range of experts. This gives us a broader, deeper and more cohesive view of the challenges society demands business take a lead on and enables us to design more expansive and groundbreaking solutions. On the Imperial Many Minds podcast, the world's top academics and industry experts will help you find the ideas, skills and confidence to make better decisions, whether that's in relation to your business or your career. Are you ready to join today's Meeting of Minds? The subject for this sixth and final episode in our series couldn't be more current. For decades, professional women have had to struggle with managing their personal and professional priorities. In March 2020, the world shut down and millions of people transitioned into a more flexible way of working. What are the challenges and opportunities women face in their careers today? Is the post-COVID workplace more equitable for women or has it made historic imbalances worse? Our guests today are Professor Celia Moore and alumnus Evni Vij. Celia Moore is a Professor of Organisational Behaviour and Director of the Centre for Responsible Leadership at Imperial College Business School. In her teaching, she is interested in supporting individuals to enact the moral agency responsibility. Her research focuses on how organisations unintentionally facilitate morally problematic behaviour and how leaders can best resist these consequences. Her work has been published in numerous journals, as well as the Financial Times, The Economist and The Wall Street Journal, among others. Our guest alumnus joining Professor Moore in conversation is Avni Vige. She graduated from our MBA in 2013 and is currently a senior business manager at Amazon. Avni is a solutions-oriented leader with over 13 years of international experience. Utilising the knowledge and skills she gained from the MBA program, she has successfully led teams to solve and deliver complex assignments at Amazon, Deutsche Bank and British Telecom to name a few. Celia and Evne had this conversation in 2021, at the height of the lockdown. They discussed the way they're framing their personal lives and relationships to ensure women and children around them don't internalise traditional gender roles. Towards the end of the discussion, they also make insightful remarks about the role of startups and entrepreneurs in bringing about positive change. Their conversation was inspired by the article written by Professor Moore entitled, How Flexible Working Can Work for Women?, If you would like to read it, we will link it in the description of the episode. For professional women, the recent transition to more flexible working may feel long overdue. Our discussion begins with Celia summarizing the situation over the past few decades.
1: It's really difficult to summarize the experience of working women over, over several decades. But one of the things I think is most interesting about how we've made it through the pandemic is really there have been advocates for literally decades for women and others to have more flexible working arrangements that were met with such resistance that suddenly right it took a global pandemic and everyone having to pivot to working at home in the course of a couple of weeks to realize oh this actually can work there actually are advantages right that removing a commute or Um, Being able to select when you work and having the freedom to, to get your kid or exercise in the middle of the day or not wear shoes has a lot of advantages.
2: That's absolutely true. Completely agree. And what I've personally noticed, having worked in the banking and IT industry in the last 13 years, I've noticed that there is sort of a change in what I call sort of the big threes. Uh, First is that women are more expressive now. They are expressing what they actually want and need from the workplace. And I think that's fantastic. Second thing I've noticed is that employers are a lot more empathetic towards what women want, Uh, which, again, is a a very positive move in the last 13 odd years that I've been working. And I think the, the last thing in sort of the more macro environment, organizations are more embracing of what exactly it is this means in terms of incorporating into what future would look like for the workplace. So I think that's the way I see it, sort of the three E's uh, have changed more expression, more empathy and more embracing from organizations. The move to
1: everyone working from home so quickly, I also think gave a lot of men a visceral experience of the kind of tensions that women have had to confront on a daily basis that they hadn't had before. Right. So we all know the viral videos of the, the man who's speaking to the BBC who has a child come in during a Zoom conversation. Right. Um, but suddenly there were millions and millions of fathers who were experiencing this regularly and realizing, oh, this is what constant interruption is like. And this is what having to manage the, the divided, um, attention that parenting all day while working all day means. I think that that is really underscored why the empathy has increased.
2: Absolutely, I think, and that's a positive move, of course. It's it's a move in the right direction. Uh, and it's a starting point, I think. It's not the change we want eventually, but it's the sort of midterm, I'd say, change uh, that is important to then actually make the, the necessary changes uh, for men to be more participative in the household work. Well, there's a lot of things societally that
1: need to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just heard a quote from someone in the US saying, Childcare is part of infrastructure. If you think that it's more important to invest in infrastructure to build bridges or roads than it is to provide childcare, both are required in order for me to get to work. Right? Okay. So it is part of the infrastructure that allows for productivity to occur. And so much of that infrastructure has been provided unpaid or poorly paid or um unnoticed uh, for a long time. And I think that now it's it's a little bit more um salient for a lot of people, because
2: in its absence, when suddenly it's absent, you're like, oh my god. There's something missing, absolutely. I think one other thing that I've noticed, and, and just reflecting back uh, to when I started my job 13 years ago is uh, technological advancements. I remember we used to have something called a spider phone, uh, which was to make those international calls, very expensive international calls, to speak to someone away from our home country. and. Um, now it's just a click of a button and every new user is upgraded to sort of zero cost on new softwares like Microsoft Teams or Skype uh, for business. And I think that's a, a big change in terms of what we are seeing on why it's easier to work from home as well. Uh, so I think that's that's just me being nostalgic about the good old days and uh, yeah, how technology has changed now. Well, I find that all very heartening,
1: that that the technological infrastructure around working from home was actually quite seamless. I mean, I think one of the reasons we think about the the tensions around childcare is because that was not seamless. Whereas the fact that it worked so well, that suddenly everyone adopted Zoom and Teams within a couple weeks, with pretty pretty good results and pretty um, uh, uh, uninterrupted workflows speaks to how how well the technological infrastructure was there
2: that's true absolutely agreed
0: has the transition to remote working during the pandemic been a good thing for women
2: um i think in my opinion this has to be looked at in uh in a personal situation perspective i think every woman's reality has been different through the pandemic um every woman has had a different experience because of a different family situation. And I think if I were to broadly categorize it, I would say sort of three major uh, categories of women in my circle, uh, work work colleagues and also friends, um, single women who are living on their own. And then I've seen single women who are parents, they are nurturing a child. And then there is sort of women with an entire family ecosystem to support them. So I think, um, all these three women have had a very different experience uh, and I think in order or sort of increased responsibility I'd say first second and third I I'd, I'd particularly want to talk about the third category where there is an entire family supporting uh, the, the woman in the house but where the parents or sort of the partners are not supportive that's when there is a bigger burden on the woman. whereas if it's uh, very supportive parents supportive partners uh, not so naughty children then I think things become a lot more easier and so I think it's been a very diverse impact across uh, the group of females that I know and I think that's uh, that's an interesting sort of divide to see in terms of who benefited in the long run and who sort of didn't uh, and was worse off. Well I think we
1: also shouldn't under underestimate the role that isolation has played, right? So not all women are mothers, not all people live with others, Um, there's been massive mental health issues uh, that that have been experienced by people that I both live alone and live with people. I mean, you can be very, you can be driven to <laughs> mental, mental distress by the people that live close to you as well as <laughs> the people who, yeah, live alone. Um, but I think also having most of the, the, the ways in which we normally restore ourselves. Um, taken away uh, or removed temporarily was a big burden for some. So I think one of the other things that differentiates people is how many things that you use to restore yourself or, or reduce burnout did you still have access to? So if you're someone that really likes biking or going outdoors, that wasn't such a big change. If you're someone who really loves culture or film or theatre, then that was a really big change. So I think there's lots of ways that people were differentially affected, both in terms of workload and mental health capacity um, over the course of the pandemic.
2: Absolutely agree. Yeah.
0: Celia, how do you think women's careers have been affected by the new ways of working during the pandemic?
1: So I think we need to always be mindful that women's experience is not monolithic. The category of women is, contains multitudes, right? It's not just like
2: okay.
1: one thing. Women have lots of different experiences. Men have lots of different experiences. Non-binary people have lots of different, like there's, everyone had to make it through this pandemic, uh, with different, different supports and challenges. Um, so I really want to make sure that we don't treat any of these categories as monolithic. There are certain expectations that are imposed on women that can be experienced as as similar across categories, but women themselves have a wide range of experiences and a wide range of reactions to the expectations set for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How have you seen the women that you know, um, their careers affected by the pandemic?
2: I I think it, there's a bit of both. There's a, a positive impact as well as a negative impact. So I think there's been a trickle down of both across the board. What I find most fascinating though in this is that, uh, let's say now we have more time because we're, uh, we've reduced the commuting time now. So we're not uh, traveling as much. So I think for me, the big question there is what do women do with this extra time versus what do men do with that extra time? And I think that that's probably the key change in how their careers would move forward. I was actually reading a study from HBR a couple of days ago, and what they say is that uh, a couple of respondents that they took in, I think about sample size of 300 people, uh, they realized women spend that extra time taking care of their family, whereas men are actually spending that time expanding their sphere of work. And I think that's a very fascinating way to see how they're actually utilizing this extra time that they have as an added advantage of the pandemic. They might not be furthering their career, but they might then be spending more quality time with their family, for example, which is also a good thing. But I think that's purely dependent on what happiness and success means to each one of us. And I think that's probably my opinion of how it's impacted across the board.
1: Well, I'd like to return to this idea about how labor within and outside the home is distributed. Right? Uh, Because I think one of the things that the pandemic really made clear is that Domestic labor is not equally shared, no matter what kind of family configuration you have. It is a very, very rare family that that splits that work equally. And even if you're a single woman who doesn't live with family, you probably have more um, expectations for caregiving or emotional support responsibilities than a brother might, right? In a, in a more extended family, and I think it's those social role expectations that really. Do need to change and can be more monolithically experienced by women and men. The, this expectation that women are going to do the caregiving, do the picking up of the socks on the floor, are going to order the food, are going to—I lost my mind at one point in the pandemic and stopped cooking. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I am not going to do this anymore because all I get it to the table, I was like, I don't like this meal. It made me want to throw it across the room, you know. So I think that there's. Um, I have a very, very supportive husband, but there are still these, these jobs that end up falling disproportionately on women generally. Whether that's who's going to call in and check in on a widowed mother or who's going to bring, you know, an aunt who's shielding groceries or all of those, um, additional types of labor that fall more to women, I think is, is what negatively impacted their careers. And we have to be very careful in our organizations not to do that to women inside their organizations. so i've I've noticed now as people are starting to come back to work, that female faculty are taking on the role of encouraging more social interaction or organizing the picnic so that we can be outside. And par- part of me wants to resist, you know, engaging in that kind of labor because I'm like, no, 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 let's get the the single man to organize the picnic. Because it's not, it should, we shouldn't just be doing all of the mothering at home and then also at work, right? Because it's, it's, it's thankless and it's non-promotable. This is non-promotable voluntary tasks that women disproportionately take on.
2: That's a very valid point. Unpaid as well. <laughs> I think some people call it the second shift as well. So you finish your first shift, which is at work, and then you're on your second shift, which is your personal life. Uh, and the second one, as you're right, rightly said, I think it's it's thankless in many ways. And I think some people just derive the internal satisfaction that, yes, I have made uh, another human being who's better than me, but they will never turn around and thank you. So I think <laughs> it's a fair point, you make.
1: <laughs> we should have the right also to ask those around us for more help. Mm-hmm. right. So I think we are also socialized to take on a lot of those jobs um, because we feel it's our our responsibility and until we refuse some of those roles, right why wouldn't if I if I had a fairy that just came in and folded all the laundry and put it away, if I had that magic fairy I wouldn't be like questioning I wouldn't be poking that bear and seeing it like <laughs> the, the magic laundry fairy has to go on strike.
2: I, I think this has to do a bit or maybe a lot, uh, especially in developing countries, to do with culture as well. Um, I think that women are, uh, historically, how it was, was that one person would go to work and the second would stay at home and take care of the household. And that's now suddenly been linked to gender. Men are the ones who are going out who are the breadwinners, whereas women are the ones who are at home uh, managing the household. I think... We can't eradicate that because it's from decades ago, but I think it's critical to then be aware of such a bias and not incorporate that in one's decision-making, especially at work. Uh, That's what I personally promote, uh, impact-based judgment rather than gender-based judgment. Uh, So I think that's critical.
0: With gender equality at the workplace impacted by gender expectations at home, how can we bring about positive change?
2: I I think I I have got two major things that we can do starting today, each one of us. Uh, One is professionally. I think that uh, if we are big advocates to promoting uh, goal-based or or impact-based output, I think that's fantastic because then you're de-linking everything to gender or to any cultural stereotype. I think that's the first thing I would say. Uh, De-link everything to gender and sort of focus on impact and promote that uh, as a leader as well. Uh, I think that's that's critical. And second, personally, I think um, I speak to a lot of youngsters, nephews and nieces, and I, uh, I talk to them about what I do on a day-to-day basis, and I think that's the best place to reset gender expectations. You can actually tell them what exactly it is that they can go out and achieve in their life, and that's the best place for impact at an early age. So I would say be an active advocate to then promote that resetting uh, of gender roles to them. Uh, So, I think those would be the two key positive changes, I would say, we can all do starting today. Yeah, I I totally agree that the, the models that we set,
1: the models that we are, makes a giant difference. And that needs to occur both at work and outside of work. So, I mean, one example from my life that I've been doing for the last decade is constantly sort of reinforcing to my kids' schools that I am not the primary contact. My husband and I are both primary contacts. Mm-hmm. Do not ask me to bake stuff for the bake sale unless you're asking him to bake stuff for the bake sale. And do that to all of the dads. It's 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 we have to shift the gender roles at home as well as at work. Um and we have to be unafraid to to state what we need and why we need it. Um, I think there's a lot of risk in women doing that at earlier stages in their careers. So as you move farther along, you have an even greater responsibility to make sure that you're modeling that behavior. So I know women who are younger in their careers who would be hesitant to say, I need to do something for my personal life outside of work. Now I do that all the time. I mean, I think you also have to deliver, right? So we're here on a Saturday. It's not like you you shut down all um, flexibility. But if you need something, you need something. And it's it's worthwhile to state why. Absolutely
0: agree. How is Imperial College Business School developing business leaders who could further the shift towards gender equality?
2: Uh, It's a very good question. Uh, I think, uh, and I did my MBA uh, back in 2012, 2013, full-time MBA. Uh, What I recognize that for me, The one thing that was of biggest impact, uh, coming from a very Asian background, uh, I realized was the entrepreneurship exercise, the consultancy exercise that we did, uh, which was bring out your best and biggest ideas and we will promote them and make sure we back it up as Imperial College Business School to then make sure that actually succeeds. I think that for me was uh, one that made a big difference because then my focus was purely on what can I contribute as an individual individual, not where do I come from and where can it take me. It was who I am and what can I give uh, and what can I bring to the table. And I think that's been my most valuable experience from Imperial College Business School. What do you think? Uh, Has something changed uh, from now eight, nine years later? Well, I mean, I hope so. I I think it's, it's, it's always a tricky
1: one, right? Because you don't want to be teaching students Differently as a function of the social categories to which they belong, um, but we also know that the social categories that our students belong to have a dramatic impact on their careers. Um, some of that is is completely unfair. Most of it. Some of it is less completely unfair, but still happens. So they need to know how the way that they are in the world and who they are in the world is going to have. Um, It's going to be reacted to and decided upon in different ways, depending on the vessel that they function from. Um, I talk to MBA students about uh, implicit biases a lot. I talk to them about the importance of um, nurturing personal lives that can support their career development, can support their professional careers. Because um, I think a lot of people end up getting into partnerships where there are different expectations, again, social and moral expectations of what, what people are going to do, how careers are going to be prioritized, um, that ends up disadvantaging some people over others later. So I really encourage them while they're thinking about their career planning to think about how their personal life will affect their career planning, affect their later careers.
2: That's really positive, actually, and it's it's nice to see that you're doing that very proactively as well at sort of a college uh, time. So I think that's it's brilliant to see. Actually, quite pleased
1: to hear that. Well, I think students can sometimes be taken aback when I start talking about you know their their marital or, or life partners.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that,
1: <laughs> and then I show them data about how important that is yes. for their later career success, and then they it then makes they it become more, a little real. more oh yeah very real. <laughs>
2: That's valid. I was wondering, and this is purely uh, me thinking out loud, um, Don't are there any regulations based on gender equity that uh, college would be teaching or should be teaching? Uh, and This is purely me thinking out loud. Well, I think there's a lot of different
1: ways that uh, mandates around trying to encourage diversity um, are levied in different organizations or in different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's true at, like, board of director level or in different hiring policies. Um, I think that organizations have been less proactive at mandating or or really encouraging properly people's um, uh, ability to be inclusive once the diversity is there. Because there are organizations that are very diverse, um, that aren't very inclusive. So you'll just end up with differential turnover rates, uh, differential contribution rates. Um, and that's not, that's not where we're trying to get to.
2: I've noticed a lot of the startups have started accounting for this massively, which is why uh, in a single hierarchy, you can see people of different ages, uh, different genders, but it has no association whatsoever with that. It has a lot to do with what they can bring to the table. Uh, And at least that's what I'm seeing in the hiring strategy for a lot of um, young companies, let's say. And I think that's that's a a nice change, uh, to be honest. So maybe it will take time for the bigger companies to shift. Uh, but so it's to, uh, smaller companies, they are incorporating it as a part of their DNA from day one, uh, which is fantastic. Well, and that's one of the
1: reasons why I really like Imperial College Business School's orientation towards entrepreneurship. I think there's so much you can do to contribute back to society when you are encouraging and nurturing startups, entrepreneurial mindsets, and small companies. Because small companies can pivot way faster than large ones. I'm working with a very, very large company right now. And it is is—it is like turning the Titanic, right? Like culture change when you have 100,000 employees is a very slow process. Culture change when you have 100 is, is a lot more possible.
0: That concludes this Imperial Many Minds Conversation. If you enjoyed it and want to explore this topic further, there's an article written by Professor Moore that expands on the points covered during the discussion. You will find the link to the article in the description of the episode. Thanks to our guests, Professor Silia Moore and alumnus Evne Vij, for sharing their knowledge and experiences. This is the last episode of the Imperial Many Minds podcast series brought to you by Imperial College Business School. During the series, we drew expertise from our faculty and alumni to answer the challenges the society and business face. We have heard from innovative thinkers from across the business world, both in academia and from leading organizations. To learn more about what we do at the Business School, search Imperial Many Minds. I hope the discussions have challenged and inspired you to design and build the future with us at Imperial College Business School. A global leader in business, Imperial College Business School is the place to find answers to many of today's grand challenges. We'll give you the ideas, skills, and confidence to make better decisions whether that's in relation to your business or your career. Thank you for joining me, Omar Merlo, on the Imperial Many Minds podcast. Until next time. The Imperial Many Minds podcast series is brought to you by Imperial College Business School. While others speculate on the future, Imperial College Business School's diverse minds are designing and building it. Imperial means intelligent business. This podcast was produced by Prong Productions.